0: Please take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Romans, the ninth chapter. Romans chapter nine, we are beginning a brand new series, a brand new series that we've entitled Stewardship. Now, before you get up and run away because you think the preacher's about to preach a message on giving, this is not a a message on giving. Now, this is a six-week series where we're focusing on stewardship. And we think of stewardship, when we think about that word stewardship, our mind automatically goes to what? Giving, money. So get your hand off your wallet at least for today, I'm not preaching on giving. Now, there will come a week. I'm not gonna tell you what week, but one of these weeks, we're going to talk about giving and tithing and, and what belongs to the Lord. But you see, when we look at God's word, God's word is full of, of stewardship. You cannot look even at the Christian life without seeing this idea, this concept of, of stewardship. And, and in our minds, we, we've so become a part in our minds that we think of stewardship, we automatically go to giving. But I submit to you that... That every point of your life as a Christian revolves around some aspect of stewardship. It does. It does. And and I've identified from God's Word three different areas in God's Word where it talks about stewardship. First of all, we, we see the, this idea of giving. Obviously, it's there. The, the idea of a steward. What's a steward? A steward is someone who receives something that does not belong to him, but he's been entrusted with this to do something with it, right? That's the idea of a steward. And so God has entrusted things to us as Christians that don't belong to us. They don't belong to us, but God has given them to us. He's entrusted us with them, and then we are to be able to use them and understand this, Christian, that we will be judged one day as to how we were stewards, how well of a steward were we with what God has given to us. Now there's three different areas, I believe, in God's word. And we're going to look at all three of these areas over the next six weeks. The one is finances. Yes, your money does not belong to you. God has entrusted this money to you and, and has told you to be a steward over this wealth, over these finances, over this money. And God's word talks more about money than any other topic in, that you can think of. Apart from heaven and hell, money is the number one topic mentioned in scripture. So obviously money is important and and we're told to be stewards of this. So yes, number one is our finances, the money. But we're also called to be stewards over life, over service. God has given you gifts that don't belong to you. You did not earn those gifts. Those gifts don't belong to you. They belong in heaven. But yet he's given them to you and he's entrusted them to you to be stewards of those gifts. The stewards over life. Remember when he created Adam. He, he said to Adam, What was Adam's job when he first created Adam? He said, I want you to go and you name those animals. You, you are Lord over those animals, you are the steward over those animals. Those animals that belong to, to, to Adam. Adam didn't create those animals, he didn't do anything to earn those animals. But yet God had entrusted the whole earth. He entrusted his livelihood to Adam and said, Adam, now you are the steward of this earth. You are the steward of this creation. And so we see this idea of stewardship of life and and, and resources. So the first area is finances. Yes, we we see stewardship and finances. We'll talk about that. Stewardship of life and service. We'll talk about that. But today I, I want us to see the stewardship of something else that so often gets neglected in our Christian walk. And it's so sad. It's the stewardship of the gospel, the stewardship of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have your Bible open to Romans chapter nine, like I asked you to, but I want to read uh, for you from 1 Corinthians chapter nine. The verse will be on the screen. You can look at it uh, with me. 1 Corinthians chapter nine, beginning in verse number 16. He said this, "'For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel.'" For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am entrusted with a what? A stewardship. You see it? I've been entrusted with a stewardship of the gospel. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may be present, uh, that I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make the full use of my right in the gospel. Paul is saying that we have been entrusted with this gospel We've been entrusted with this message that that we are to be stewards of. Paul didn't do anything to earn his salvation. Paul didn't do anything in light of the gospel. Now, let's define the gospel. What is the gospel? Well, your Bible tells you what the gospel is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and he says, I write to you what I first delivered to you, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that according to the scriptures, Christ died. That in accordance with the scripture, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day. So what is the gospel message? The gospel message is so simple. Jesus died for your sins, He was buried, and He rose again. That's the gospel message, as simple as that. You see, the gospel message is simple, but yet it is profound. You see, the gospel message, that message that Jesus died for our sins, was buried and he rose again, that message in and of itself, that message contains life. That message contains light. That message makes those things that which are dead, makes them come to life. It shines light in the darkest valleys. It shows light in the darkest venues of life. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is, is yes, simple, It's very easy to to grab a hold of. It's so easy that even a child can receive it. It's so simple, but yet it is the most profound statement. It's the most profound idea that has ever been uttered on the face of this earth. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that we are stewards of the gospel of Christ. What does that mean? It means that God has entrusted to each and every one of us. God has entrusted to each and every one of us this this gospel message to share our faith, to do the call in the work of an evangelist. You say, now, wait a minute, preacher. (laughs) I, I don't have the gift of evangelism. I don't have the gift of evangelism. So I get off the hook because I don't have the gift of evangelism. I don't have to go share my faith. If you don't have the gift of mercy, and mercy is a gift, if you don't have the gift of mercy, does that give you the right to just go and be a knucklehead to everybody you come across? Just because you don't have the gift of giving, does that mean that you can be stingy all the time? No. Just because you don't have the gift of evangelism doesn't mean that the, the, the exact result of that is that I don't have to share my faith. That's wrong, That's wrong. The gift of evangelism, and there are people in our church that have the gift of evangelism. What that means is it comes naturally to them to to be able to share their faith. Just like the, the gift of mercy, it comes natural to those who have mercy to be merciful. Those who have the gift of giving, it comes natural to be givers and not takers. But just like in the Christian walk, in the Christian life, because you may not have a gift, maybe you may not excel in a gift, doesn't mean that you can neglect that gift. You see, we're all called in, in Matthew chapter 28 to be great commissioned Christians, to go out and to share our faith, to share what Christ has done for us. This message of life. This message of hope. Today's message, if you're taking notes, that the, the, the message is entitled A Burden for Souls. A burden for souls. Evangelism, Evangelism does not begin with a program, it begins with us personally. That's important. Evangelism does not begin by creating some program. Evangelism in the life of a Christian begins when we personally decide that this is what we're going to do. It begins with having a burden for souls. I believe the missing element in the modern day church is a real burden for the lost. I believe the missing word in most churches today of the Lord Jesus Christ, the the missing word is the word concern. There seems to be so little burden. There seems to be so little concern for the people of the world and those that are lost for the souls of mankind. At Oloma Church, we have a visitation program. In fact, this past Wednesday night, two of our deacons went out, and, and this is one story, there, I'm sure there's more, but uh, this past Wednesday night, I heard from two of our deacons. They went and visited a, a man who visited our church months ago. They went and knocked on the door, and this man opened his, 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 the door of his home, and before those two deacons left, he opened the door of his heart and received Christ into his life and was saved. We have a visitation program. We share our faith in programs and such. But listen, before evangelism and soul winning can ever become a program, it must first be a passion. It must be a lifestyle. It, it begins with a burden in our heart. And the Apostle Paul, he, he had a passion for lost people, didn't he? He had a, he had a passion, a, a burden to, to see souls saved. So let's see what he says here in Romans chapter nine. Please stand in the honor of reading God's word. And I'm reading from a brand new Bible. So my Bible keeps closing on me. There's not some spirit or demon in here closing my Bible. It's just a new Bible. So just follow along. Romans chapter nine, and we'll begin reading in verse number one. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Father, we thank you for this word. Now, God, I ask that you speak to us from it, that, Father, that you will place a a, a burden on our heart, For it's in Christ's name we pray. And God's people said, please be seated. The gospel of a bleeding heart demands a commitment of a broken heart. The gospel of a bleeding heart demands a commitment of a broken heart. And before you and I will ever be affected or effective, affected or effective in reaching our lost world, with the gospel of Christ, we must be broken before God. We must have a burden from Christ. So what kind of burden should we have? I'm glad you asked that question because it's right here in the text. Three things, I believe, that three types of burdens we are to have. Number one, we need a personal burden, a personal burden. Paul had it. In verse one, he said, I say the truth, I lie not. My conscience bears me witness. This is personal. It's a burden that God had laid upon Paul's heart personally and he personally assumed it you understand that this burden on Paul's life was very real, right? He wasn't being pious here. He, 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 he wasn't just giving religious talk. He wasn't just paying lip service to this. He, he truly believed what he's writing here. And he refused to let other people carry his personal burden. You see, that's not even possible, is it? I can't carry your burden and you can't carry my burden. He said, this is the truth, I lie. This is a burden that's on my heart. I'm afraid that the church of Jesus Christ today has allowed uh, the religious professionals to carry the burden for our lost world. We hire preachers and we ordain deacons and we, we do all of these things and we say, these, these men, these are the soul winners of the church. Let, let these men do, they're the professionals. Let, let them do the witnessing. Let them go and do this. And oh, how wrong that is. We say this group here, these are the witnessing people. Now understand this. I try my best to be a soul winner. I do my witnessing. I carry my burden, but I can't carry your burden. I will not stand before God and give an account for your life. I will stand before God and give an account for how I shepherded your life and this flock called Aloma Church. I believe that. But when I stand before God, I have to give an account for how I was a steward of the gospel that was entrusted to me. And in the same vein, you, Christian, you, you, when you stand before God, you understand that, that, that there is a coming judgment, that what you're doing here, that, that even though you may uh, sin and you're doing the things outside the will of God, you may be a Christian, but there is a judgment coming for Christians as well. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. We we find it in the book of 1 Corinthians. The judgment seat of Christ is is where the Christians stand before God. And yes, you, you go to heaven, but there's going to be weeping there. There's going to be sadness there because I believe that in that moment, God is going to show us what our life could have been if we were better stewards of what he's entrusted to us. And he said, we are stewards of the gospel. We are stewards of the gospel. How are you? How, are your, how is your stewardship of the gospel going? How is your witness going? H- how is sharing your faith going? Because you see, that's what God has called us to do. Paul said again in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I, I am a steward of the gospel. I've been entrusted with this message. And I am going to have to give an account as to how I handled this message. Vance Havner used to say, the the great preacher of yesteryear said, the problem with the church is that the world is desperate and the church is not. Hmm. The world is hungry and the church is satisfied. Think about this. The world has absolutely no problem inviting people to participate in the things of the world, do they? Have you ever thought about that? The, the, The world has no problem at all walking into your life, walking into your living room and inviting you to participate in the things of the world. They don't care if they offend you through their sexually ex- explicit material. They don't care if they offend you by their, 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 their verbal words and, and, and derogatory terms. The world could care less about your values. The world could care less about political correctness. The world is inviting you to participate in the things of the world. But yet when it comes to the church, we don't want to offend. Oh, we don't want to offend anybody. I don't know where that British accent came from right then. <laughs> but we as a church, we, we don't want to offend. We, Oh, I, I can't share my... What, what if they make fun of me? What if they say something? What if they think I'm a Christian? What if they think I'm a goody two-shoe? And we're so concerned... The world could care less what you think of the world. But yet we as Christians who have the life-giving message, the life-giving power of this word, we are so concerned by what other people are going to think. So we don't carry that burden. We say, oh, it's somebody else's burden. Let somebody else carry that. You need and I need a personal burden for souls. And hear me. If you don't have a burden for souls, if you don't have a concern, then I don't care what else you're doing. I don't care if you're a deacon of this church. I don't care if you sing in the choir. I don't care if you're an usher. I don't care if you're a life group teacher. I don't care what kind of person, uh, what kind of Christian character you may have. I don't care how much you give. If you don't have a burden for souls, you're not right with God. If you don't have a burden for the lost, you're not right with God. Think about it. Think about what Paul says here. Andrew Murray, he once said, there are two kinds of Christians, soul winners and backsliders. Paul had a real burden on his heart. He said, this is the truth. I, I, I'm not lying. And it was more than just talk for him. You say, pastor, honestly, if, if I can be perfectly honest with you, pastor, I, when I wake up in the morning, honestly, I know, I know here that I should have a burden for the loss. I know here. But when I wake up in the morning, I'm not thinking from here. I'm thinking from here. And, and the real burden I have is how am I going to make it through this, another day at this job that I hate? The, the real burden that I have when I wake up is that how am I going to how am I going to be able to tell my family of, of, of this the, the cancer that the doctor said that, that I have the real burden that 's on my heart is is all of the, these things that that are consuming my life How, how is it? How is it? Because I, I hear you, preacher. I understand God's word. I know that I should have a personal burden. How is it that I get that personal burden? Again, I'm glad you asked that question because Paul tells us right here and straight out of God's word. First of all, it requires a conversion experience. Write that down. If you want a personal burden for the lost, it requires a conversion experience. See, Paul says, he said, my conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. Christ was in him. The Holy Spirit of God drove him toward a passionate burden for souls. You see, Paul wasn't always the great missionary. One day, at one time in his life, he was Saul of Tarsus. He was a murderer of Christians. And Saul of Tarsus was going toward Damascus in order to kill more Christians. And on that road to Damascus, Jesus Christ himself showed up. And, and Paul, uh, Saul of Tarsus, had a, an experience with Christ. And from that moment, Paul, the apostle now, had a burden for souls. You know what happened to Paul? You know how Paul, Do you know how Paul throughout his whole life from when he was saved until he was so old that he, as, as, as he grew in the Christian faith and he got old in the Christian faith and, and 10 years turned into 20 years, 20 years turned into 40, you know how he kept that burden for lost people? Do you know how, Paul kept, this is a secret for how you and I can keep a burden for lost people. Because you see, a lot of us, when we got saved, we were radicalized, in a good sense, right? Not radicalized as the, the as these Muslims, but we were radicalized for the cause of Christ. And and we, we stormed hell with a water pistol, and we did whatever we could do in order to see lost people saved. And that fire was burning, that fire was burning, but now that fire has extinguished, and, and we're not concerned about lost people. We don't have that burden like we once had. You You know why what kept Paul motivated and had kept a burden for the souls? You know, you know what happened to him? You know what he did? He never got over his salvation. He never got over his salvation. Everywhere he went, he kept telling people about what Jesus did for him, what he had done for him. Now, I, I'm afraid that many of us, we, we've been saved, but we've gotten over it. And the reason I think that we've gotten over it is because we don't talk about it. You know how the best way to get over something is? To stop talking about it. You know, there are things in life that we don't like. And the way that we cope with them is that we just stop talking about it. We pretend like it didn't happen. My, my dad and my stepmom are here and, And, you know, one of the biggest tragedies of our life was when my brother uh, took his life. And one of the ways that that mentally, as a human being, the way you try to cope with that is you just... You try to push it out of your life. You just try to push it out of your mind. You, you, you almost get to the place where you pretend like it didn't happen so that you can cope with it, so that you can just forget that this event even happened. And it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be a death. It can be, it can be anything, but yet how is it, think about it, how is it that we try to take events and we try to just move on without, you stop talking about them. And while that can be negative, it can also see, be seen as a positive thing as well. You see, when when Christ came into your life, he saved you. You burned with with the fire of heaven and you shared your faith with Christ. You were on fire for God. But over the years, you know what happened? Not that Christ became any less to you. I believe that Jesus stayed the same and he's he's used you and he's blessed you and he's, he's spoken through you and he's done great things. He's done really good things in your life. But you know what's different today? You stop talking about what he did in your life. You stop talking about the salvation experience. You you almost got over your salvation. We talk about those things that mean something to us, but God has called us to be witnesses. You see, it could be that you don't have a burden. Maybe you're here today and, and you don't have a burden for Christ because you've never been converted. That's very possible. You could be here today. You could be a member of a church, this church, any church. You, you may have been in the baptism waters. You, you could have gone through all those motions, and maybe today you're here today, and, and you, you're not a Christian. You're not converted, and that's why you don't have a burden for lost people. That's my story. At the age of seven, I was baptized in the, the, the First Baptist Church of Pigeon Forge, and I was just as lost when I went in the water as I was when I came out of the water. I had no idea, no concept. i never repented of my sins. i never confessed Christ as Savior and Lord of my life. I was never saved. But for 10 more years of my life, I, I walked separated from Christ and separated from God. And at the age of 17, in a little small church in Maryville, Tennessee, I gave my heart and my life to Christ. And I was converted that day. I was born again that day. And God placed in me on that day a burden for lost people, a burden for souls see a witness what is the definition of a witness a witness if if, if you if, if you see something happen and the police come they call you a witness why do they call you a witness because they want you to share what you've seen what you've heard what you've experienced right christians are called witnesses in the new testament you know why because we are to be sharing what we have seen what we have heard and what we've experienced And I believe that many of us, we don't have a burden for lost people. We're not sharing our faith because maybe some of us have never seen or heard or experienced Christ in the first place. Maybe you've never been converted. Jesus said it this way. He said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. That's a formula. That's a formula. A plus B equals C. He said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So how do we we make fishers of men? We must first what? This, this isn't a trick question. In order to be, make fishers of men, we must what? Follow him. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So in order to make fishers of men, we must first follow Christ. Follow him. By the way, you don't have to be a preacher to tell what Christ's done for you. You don't have to take some class and, and, and memorize a million scriptures to be able to share your faith. You know, I hear people say this a lot. Preacher, I was raised in church. I was saved at the age of six. Never done an illegal drug in my life. Never been drunk in my life. Never, never had, you know, uh, the, the sexuality thing never bothered me. I, I've been faithful to my husband and my wife. I was saved early in life at the age of six. I just don't have a powerful testimony. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Think about what you just said. Now, now, think about it in the light of what the world would think. The world, the world would say at the age of six or even at the age of 17, you never drank, you never smoked, you never, you never killed anybody, you, 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 you've always been faithful. Why did you need to change? You know what? Po- what's so powerful about the testimony of a person, of a child who comes to faith in Christ? You know what's so powerful about that testimony? The world sees that and says, what was wrong with you as a six-year-old child? You can say, well, even though I may not have done the big heinous sins, I was still a sinner in need of a savior. That's powerful. That's powerful. So don't let Satan rob you. Your testimony is the best way you can share your faith. Nobody can deny what happened in your life. You experienced it. You saw, you felt it. You saw the change that happened in your life. And if you don't remember, if it was something that happened a long time ago when you were a small child and somebody says, well, why in the world did you need Christ? The point is that you were still in need of a savior. That's a powerful testimony. The apostle Paul went throughout the whole world sharing his testimony, sharing what Christ had done. Not only conversion, but compassion. If you want a personal burden for Christ, You have to be converted, you have to be saved in order to to have a a heart for lost people, you must be saved, but also there's this idea of compassion. Notice what he said in verse two. He said, "I, I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. He had a heartfelt burden. Paul's heart was enlarged to include the whole world. His heart was burdened for people. He later said, Christ compels me, the love of Christ constrains me. And he wasn't talking about his love for Christ, but Christ's love for him. And when he thought about what Christ had done for him on the cross, the love of, of, of God through Christ, he said, the love of Christ compels me to share Jesus. He loved Christ. But most importantly, he said, Christ loves me. And the, the love that I received from Christ then in turn allows me to love the lost. He saw people the way Jesus saw them. It was a heartfelt burden. He was willing to shed tears and to weep over souls. How long has it been since you've weeped over those that are lost? One lady came to her pastor one day, and she said, Pastor, what's wrong with my husband? He's lost. I've, I've prayed, and I've prayed, and I've prayed, and he's still lost. He, nothing's happened. And that pastor said, well, ma'am, I don't know what's wrong, but maybe you need to try tears. Maybe you need to weep. Maybe you need to get even more serious and begin to get a burden, a heartfelt compassion. Conversion, compassion, and then thirdly, if you want a personal burden for the lost, it requires conviction. Conviction. Paul realized that without Jesus, people were lost. He believed that. He had this conviction that the word of God tells us that Jesus is the only way to salvation. Paul believed this this right-wing, closed-minded belief that Jesus was the only way to heaven. Can you believe that Paul actually took Jesus at his word when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life, no man comes to the Father? Who in their right mind would believe that? I do. Do you believe that? Do 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 you really believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven? Okay, think about this then. Think about, it. that's a conviction based upon God's word, right? Based upon God's word, we believe that Christ is the only way to heaven. That men and, and, and women and students, nobody can come to faith in Christ apart from Christ. We, we believe that based upon God's word, amen? Now think about this, that's a conviction we hold straight from God's word. Straight from God's word. So how is it that we can see people pass by us every single day, who we know that they are lost, that they have no hope of heaven at this point, that they don't have Christ living there. How in the world, if we hold this conviction that Christ is the only way, how is it that we can remain quiet in our personal life as we're walking day by day and we see person after person after person who is lost, who is dying, who is going to hell, separated from God for all of eternity? How is it that we can keep quiet? How is it that we cannot share? G- if we truly believe this, you said you all, you said you believed it. You said you believed it. You said this is a conviction that I hold. I believe it begins with a burden. Church, I believe it begins with us being broken, a a personal burden for the lost. Begin to pray for burdened souls. You don't have to pray about sharing your faith. There are certain things you don't have to pray about. You don't have to pray about sharing your faith. Just go share. Remember, we're stewards of the gospel. How, how are you handling the gospel? God has entrusted this message to each one of us as Christians. How are we handling this? Are, are we being good stewards or bad stewards? You make the call. I can't make that call for you. Not only did Paul have a personal burden, but he had a persistent burden. And I'm running out of time, so we're going to have to run through these next two points very quickly. He had a personal burden, and then you can see the three points there. That's how you receive a personal burden. Number two, his burden was persistent. Notice in verse two, he said, that I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. In Acts chapter 20, Paul was was saying goodbye to the church in Ephesus. And he said in verse 31, he said, God is my witness. You know that everything I have done, you know that I've shared Jesus with my whole heart. You see, the problem is that that, uh, oftentimes we as Christians, we run hot and cold. We know that we should have a personal burden. We know that we should have this desire. We have this conviction that Christ is the only way to heaven. But why is it that we're not sharing? The reason why we don't share our faith is because we run hot and cold. We're up, we're down. We have great difficulty in what we do we, we in sustaining this burden for the lost. Our attention is given to other things. Sometimes those other things are good things. Sometimes we, we begin to focus in and we begin to serve in a church in a way that gets our mind off of sharing uh, Christ. I know churches that get sidetracked and get on other streets and do other things other than having a burden for a loss. But listen, a church that's main focus is not winning people to Christ is a church that's not focused correctly. The aim, the, the, the point, the, the way we must go is through evangelism. So how do we maintain a continual sorrow? How do we continue to have this persistent burden for souls? There's one way and one way only. It was the way that Paul kept it. It's the way that we will keep it. Are you listening? Here's how you keep a continual burden for souls. It's through continual prayer. Prayer. If you're taking notes, write this down. A burden commences and continues through prayer. You're not going to have a burden because you're not praying for a burden. But if you're praying for a burden, you're going to get a burden. Burdens commits through prayer but they also continue through prayer so as, as we as we get on our face before god i hope that you're having a quiet time i hope you're you're reading god's word and you're studying god's word but the way you get a burden is the same way you contain a burden you you keep a burden it's through prayer persistent prayer having the eyes of christ now do you have people for whom you're praying you have a list of names of people that you're praying for that are lost who don't know Christ, do you? Let me tell you something about your Bible. Everybody get your Bible. Get your Bible out. Hold your Bible up. Get got your Bible, hold your Bible up. You should always bring your Bible to church. If you don't have a Bible, come see me at the end of the service and I'll make sure that you give you a Bible. Some of you are holding your phones up. That's cool. That's nice. <laughs> your Bible's on your phone. Yeah, that's, that's, I like that. Now, Let me tell you something about your Bible. What's at the beginning? What's in the opening pages of your Bible? No, not Genesis. Genesis, that's the Sunday school answer. What's in the opening pages of your Bible is blank paper. Right? What's in the end of your Bible? Don't say Revelation. Don't say maps. That's a Bible answer. Plain paper. Plain paper. You see that? Most Bibles have plain paper. You, you know why that's there? You know why that plain paper's there? I have no idea why that plain paper's there, but I'll give you a, a good thing that you can use it for. Write down the names of the people that you know that are lost in that, on that plain paper. Maybe it's one name, maybe it's 50 names. Write them down. Write them down. Ask God to place a burden on your heart for these people. In fact, this is something that I want us to do. This is a challenge. I'm going. I, I want every single member of Aloma Church to do this. Sorry, myself, deacons, uh, staff, I, adults, youth. I want us all to do this. I think it's important. That important. When you go home today, here's your here's your homework assignment. I want you to open your Bible to the very beginning, to the white pages. And I want you to think about people that you know that are lost, who don't know Christ. And I want you to write their name there. And I want you to begin this day, start praying for those people. Start praying for those names. You say, well, I don't know anybody. Well, I'll give you another homework assignment. When you leave this place, before you go home, go to a restaurant. And when you walk up to the hostess table, you, and that hostess is seating you, you ask that hostess, what's your name? And she'll tell you, or he'll tell you their name. I say, do you know Christ as your savior and Lord? I would say that the majority, because of we're not living in the Bible belt, I'd say a lot of them will say, no, I don't. Now you've got a name to pray for. Now you've got a face to pray for. If that person knows Christ, rejoice with them. Say, that's awesome, that's exciting. Why don't you come to a Loma church with me on Sunday? If you don't have a church home, come to church with me. Sit down and, and talk to your server who comes up. Talk to the person who helps you at the grocery store line, the, 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 the young man or the young girl who bags your groceries at, at Publix or wherever you do your shopping. Uh, talk to the, talk to the uh, most people at Chick-fil-A are saved, I guess, but when you go to McDonald's or Arby's, uh, talk to them, ask them, do you know Christ as Savior and Lord? If you don't know any lost people, there's a whole world out there that's lost. It's not hard to find them. It's not hard to find them. And the way you develop a personal burden is to begin to pray for them, pray for them. Number three, a passionate burden. Not only was it a personal burden and a persistent burden, but it was a passionate burden. I'm gonna close with this. Look at verse three of chapter nine. He said, for I could wish that I myself were a curse and cut off from Christ. Now it makes absolutely no sense in light of Romans chapter eight, does it? Paul writes in Romans chapter eight that, that no, nor death, nor life, angels, or principalities, nor powers, nor height or depth, any creature shall be able to separate me from the love of Christ that's in, uh, that the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. You know, theologically in his head, he knew that. Theologically in his head, Paul knew that he couldn't give up his salvation and go to hell so that others can be saved. Paul knew that here, but he wasn't thinking with his head. He was thinking with his heart. Paul was, Paul was not having to make sense here. He was thinking with his heart. But he was saying with his heart, oh, that I'd be willing to give up my salvation so that others could be saved. What a burden. What a burden that Paul had. I, I don't know if I could say that. I don't know if my burden runs deep enough to be able to say that. Even, even with my, even my head knowing this, I don't know if I would allow my heart to say that. But what a burden the apostle Paul had. There's another man in scripture who said something very close to Paul. His name was Moses. Moses, when God was about to give judgment on on, uh, the people of Israel, Moses stood before God and the people. He said, God, please don't blot out uh, these names. Blot me out of the book, but don't blot these out. Most of us, probably none of us, have the burden of a Paul or a Moses. The reality is none of us can do that. If you're a believer in Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and your name cannot be blotted out of that book. Whether you ask for it or not, your name is there. Once you're saved, you're always saved. You, you can't unbecome a part of a family. While Paul and, and Moses prayed like this and they talked like this, they never could do this. They never could. They never could experience hell so that somebody else could experience heaven. Paul said, I want to experience hell so that others may experience heaven. Moses said, blot my name out. I want to experience hell so that others can experience heaven. These men, they live like this and maybe you live like this, but none of us can really do that, can we? But there was one who did do that. His name was Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I'm going to experience hell so all these others can experience heaven. And Jesus took our place. Jesus took my hell. Jesus took my punishment. Jesus took my pain. He took my sin and he bore there on the cross. Jesus took my hell and he experienced hell so I don't have to experience hell so that I can go to heaven and experience his heaven. He experienced, think about this, he experienced my hell so I can experience his heaven. Isn't that good? Jesus experienced your hell so you can experience his heaven.